0: Lucky Strike by J.T. Lawrence Stuart is in an excellent mood, humming and whistling along to the 80s music rattling from my car's speakers as we twist and turn up the mountain road, lined with dark needle pine trees. He catches me looking at him and grins, taking his hand off the gear stick to caress my thigh. Despite it being chilly, I've worn the blue summer dress that clings to my body in all the right places. That's how Stu describes it anyway. The skin on my leg erupts in goosebumps. I reluctantly close the window. The scent of the pines is wonderful, and pull my cardigan tightly around me. Don't worry, says Stuart. I try to relax my face, smooth out the frown I see in the car's side mirror. I don't want to appear anxious. About what? I ask. About being cold. As soon as we get there. I'm going to warm you right up. I plaster on a smile. I've never been very good at acting, but Stu doesn't seem to notice. I am so looking forward to this weekend, he says. I've been wanting to take you away for months, somewhere special. Stuart always tells me about the trips he wants to take me on, but they never materialize. He says his job is too demanding. I can't blame him, really. I'm not easy to pin down either. I'm forever flitting from job to job, changing the cut and colour of my hair and moving house. I'm a gypsy, a nomad, a weed that throws down only shallow roots. My passport is always in my pocket, but I never let Stuart see it. Stu and I only get to see each other in snatches of time, but this weekend will be different. Every now and then, if you want something to happen, you have to take things into your own hands. Well, I say, this time, it's my treat. The corner of his eyes crinkle as he smiles warmly at me. Sometimes you just strike it lucky, you know. You always say that. I mean it, he says, squeezing my knee. It's true. You're my lucky strike. There are some rocky slips of road to navigate, and wet sand flicks the car. This place really is in the middle of nowhere, says Stu, and I nod. It's exactly what I wanted. After another 20 minutes of negotiating the yellow dust and ricocheting gravel, we arrive at our accommodation. A small stone house that looks as if it's been swallowed by the plants and wildlife around it, as if it's in the mouth of a giant Venus flytrap. Where's the owner? He asks. How do we get in? I walk up to the doormat and lift it. Woodlice scurry as I pick up the simple silver key. It glints in the citrus light of the sinking sun. Inside, The house is decked out with large furniture and lots of blankets and cushions. There is a fireplace next to the bed, which is a gigantic cast iron thing, exactly as it showed on the website, and a lovely thick rug on the floor. Stuart groans as he carries my luggage in. What's in this thing? And how long exactly are you planning on staying? He likes to pack light, but I had certain things I needed to bring. Plus, there are some things I always keep in my car. A handheld vacuum, a torch, a tow rope, a first aid kit. You could leave the big suitcase in the car, I call. I just need the small one for tonight. I unpack the cooler bag, the red wine, the bottle of vodka. When Stu sees the vodka, he looks impressed. I didn't realize it was going to be that kind of a weekend. Stu unpacks his clothes and toiletries and then opens a bottle of wine. He lights the fire while I close the curtains, and then we sit in front of the flames and sip our my He sighs and pushes his sleeves up his arms, smug, like the cat who caught the canary. This is really wonderful, Mandy, he says. It's perfect, I say, no interruptions. Stuart puts down his glass and growls at me, a bear in heat. Come here, he says, flames in his eyes. I shake my head. No. No? You're going to have to wait. Wait? Stu says. For what? Till when? Till I say. Oh. Amusement flickers on his face. I see. It's going to be like that. Yes, I say, trying to keep a straight face. It's going to be like that. I make Stuart wait for another hour, until we finish the first bottle of wine and I feel warm and tipsy. I tease him with illusions of what I will be doing to him later, and soon he can't keep his hands off me. Wait, I say, peeling his fingers off me. I can't wait any longer. I push him away and go to the second bedroom to change. When I open the door, Stuart is lying on the bed in his silk boxes. His desire is clear. Holy shit, he says, looking me up and down. I'm wearing a teal satin bodice with a padded push-up top. It cinches my waist and makes my breasts bloom. My arms are lined with soft black satin, elegant elbow-length gloves that I keep for special occasions. I feel as powerful and sexy as hell. Over the lingerie is my short silk robe. The right-hand side pocket bulges slightly, but if Stuart notices, He doesn't say anything. I sashay towards him, slowly, slowly, drawing it out and enjoying the feeling of his eyes on my skin. His mouth goes slack, his eyes burn. I arrive at the bedside and he reaches out to touch me, but I swat his hand away and climb up onto the bed and on top of him, spreading my legs to kneel on either side of his torso, sitting just above his hips, and run my hands along his chest. He tries to touch my breasts, but I grab his hands and thrust them above his head against the iron bars of the bed and kiss him deeply, luxuriously, so that he feels it right down to his core. He groans into my mouth, and it makes my body thrum. Now, he says, I need you now. I keep his wrists against the iron bars, and with my left hand, I rhythmically move my body against his. The friction makes him harder. With my right hand, I reach into my pocket, and soon there is a cold click above his head. Confused, he looks at his wrists just as I click the second handcuff closed. His face is soft with desire, but uncertainty scuds over it, like clouds racing over the sun. Oh shit, he says. Oh shit is right. I wasn't expecting that. I look deep into his eyes. They are still reflecting the flames in the hearth. Are we going to play a game, he asks. I'm tired of playing games, I say, and I climb off him. What? Do you recognize them, I ask. The cuffs. What? He says again, and looks at them. They have a soft leopard print fur covering to prevent chafing. They are not new. Stuart whips his head from his trussed wrists to look at me. What the fuck? His confusion is eroded by anger and his cheeks burn. What the fuck, Mandy? He thinks Mandy is my real name. I've always known that he's not the brightest sparkler in the pack. So you do recognize them, I say. He shakes his head, the muscles in his jaw tense, sculpting his face with fury. I don't know what you- Tell me whose handcuffs they are, Stuart. I want to hear you say her name. It's impossible, he says. How did you- I want to hear you say your mistress's name. He glares at me with glass eyes. I wait, not so patiently. I cross my arms and tap my stilettos. A whisper escapes his shrunken mouth. Annabelle. Yes, I say. Annabelle. Did you hurt her? Not as much as you did. Fuck. Mandy. He rattles his wrists against the iron bedstead. This isn't funny. Let me go. I want to say I'm not laughing, but I don't. I won't waste words on him. Not anymore. Where are the keys? He demands. I blink at him. Do you really want to know the answer to that? I had so many ideas as to what to do with the handcuffed keys. Throw them in the rushing river I knew we'd visit on the drive here or out of the window of my car, into the black needled carpet under the fragrant pines. He coughs in shock. You can't just leave me like this, can't I? For the first time, the gravity of the situation dawns on Stuart, and his eyes stretch wide. You wouldn't, he says. I shrug and pick up the bottle of vodka, spin open the top. I soak a soft white muslin cloth in the spirit and begin wiping the furniture down. I vacuum the couch and the floor, as Stuart stares open-mouthed at me, a gasping fish. When I'm sure I've wiped all my fingerprints and swept up any trace of my being there, I sprinkle some of Annabelle's DNA over the floor and in the bathroom sink. I leave the fingerprints on the handcuffs. Perhaps next time, she'll take more care with where she stores her box of sex toys. When I visited Annabelle's smart apartment, it reeked of her arrogance. Sex-stained panties in the laundry hamper, a laptop that required no password, credit card details saved in her browser, a gift tag stuck to the fridge door in Stuart's handwriting, addressed to My Lucky Strike. I spent less than 20 minutes there, gathering what I needed and booking this cabin. Her hairbrush was tangled with her distinctive red hair and her foot scrubber had plenty of dead skin cells I could scrape off. I change into jeans and a hoodie and pack my things back into the car, next to my big suitcase. I packed my pocket with my passport in it, then go inside to say goodbye. You can't leave me like this, he says. Please, Mandy. I want to leave before he starts to beg. I don't want to remember him like that. Where are the keys, he says, pulling at the handcuffs. The keys, I say. They're at Annabelle's apartment, in a neat white envelope on her kitchen counter, along with the booking confirmation printout of this place. I'm sure she'll be on her way shortly. I step outside the front door and take a deep breath of the forest air. Mandy, Stuart shouts. Mandy, Annabelle's away for a week. She won't get the envelope in time. Ah, well, I say under my breath as I climb into the car, adjusting the rearview mirror. Sometimes you just strike it lucky. The End